So, um, as you can see, I'm now in New York, and I uh, hope you notice my strong uh, New Yorker accent. <laughs> so, uh, I will talk about uh, three to target, and um, I don't know how to advance the slide, actually. Sorry? Oh, this is it. Okay, sorry. Uh, this is my conflict of interest, but I have one uh, further disclosure to make, is that the whole concept of 3-2 target was uh, actually pushed and brought to our field by uh, Steve uh, Anauer like five years ago. <laughs> so this is my uh, outline. I will try uh, to think first about what was the concept behind 3-2 target, uh, defining the targets. I will talk also about the tie control because tie control and three to target are really uh, very well uh, linked and some uh, remaining questions. So this is a slide that basically uh, started everything that was uh, designed by my late friend Mark Lehman, meaning that uh, in the past we were considering uh, IBD as intermittent disease with flares and remission, and we were concentrating on measurement of inflammatory activity, CDI, CDIS, CRP. And what we were missing, uh, like actually the rheumatologists are, didn't miss for a long time, is that IBD are progressing, and they are progressing towards complications such as stricture, fistula, and this new concept of bowel damage, like bone damage in rheumatoid arthritis. This is why we have uh, created new scales to measure long-term damage in IBD, such as the Lehman Index and the Disability Index. So, um, the point is that the goal of treatment is IBD has now changed. Because, of course, we are still concerned about treating symptoms and improving quality of life, but the goal is mainly to slow down, or even better, to stop disease progression in, in order to avoid bowel damage. And there are some key concepts which are attached to that. The first one that I will not uh, talk about today is the concept of early intervention. Earliest is the best. And this is very true across all clinical trials, all biologics, all drugs. If you intervene early, the results of the drug will be much better. So this is basically the ultimate goal now, which is blocking progression of the disease to avoid damage and disability. So, in order to do so, this is why we have created this treat-to-target concept. Again, adapted from rheumatologists. So, what is treat-to-target? It's very simple. You have to define your aim. And I was, uh, as I was uh, alluding to, it's to avoid the development of complications, damage, and disability. The concept is that in order to do so, you need to treat to a predefined treatment target that you know is associated with better long-term outcome. The strategy is ongoing and regular monitoring of the target or surrogate markers, and as soon as you are deviating from the target, you need to optimize. There are some additional principles. Of course, the target may vary according to patients. It can't be the same in an early patient or in a late patient. And attached to this 
concept, and this is what we'll hear about today as well, maybe in a patient who has reached the target, we can think about de-escalation. So in summary, a treat-to-target approach involves predefining a treatment target in consultation with the patient. This is key. You need to teach the patient about this concept so, so that he will adhere to your strategy. Monitoring disease activity using uh, objective data and modify treatment until the target is reached. This is a treat-to-target concept. So in 2015, the IYBD met to uh, define some treat-to-target recommendations, which were not strongly evidence-based, but this is the best that we had at that time. And in Crohn's disease, we define the target as a composite of clinical remission, defined as no abdominal pain and normalization of bowel habit, assessed at a, a, a minimum of three months during active disease. And of course, you need to address a special problem of patients, such as extraintestinal manifestation, fatigue. But the key is that is a composite endpoint with endoscopic remission. As you know, there are a lot of definitions of endoscopic remission in Crohn's disease. None uh, are really consistent, and we were basically uh, taking the simplest one, which was resolution of ulcerations. And this should be assessed within six to nine months after starting uh, uh, treatments. When you can't uh, adequately use endoscopy, for instance, in a patient with pure small bowel disease, then you need to refer to cross-sectional imaging. In 2015, we were thinking that biomarkers are not a target, but as I will show, they are useful for monitoring, and histology was not considered as a target. As far as you see is concerned, basically same, clinical remission, no bleeding, normalization of bowel, uh, of bowel habit, even though this is tough. And again, you need to take into account special problems of the patient, such as mood, fatigue, extraintestinal manifestations. And endoscopic remission, defined as a Mayo score of 0 to 1. In 2015, again, the biomarkers were not considered as a target, and histology was not considered as a, as a target. And actually, I was amazed to see that 60% of you are really progressing because you are uh, thinking that histology should be a target as well. Again, the treat-to-target needs to be tailored to the individual patients. You can't expect the same in an early patient where you can basically have high expectations, such as no progression at all, as compared to a late-stage disease where you will be happy if you are able to stabilize the progression. The third concept, which is uh, attached to treat to uh, target, and you need to make the difference between those two, is a concept of tie control. What does that mean? That means that in order to reach the uh, target and to reach your ultimate goal to block disease progression, you need to monitor your patients. And this monitoring should be based not only on clinical symptoms, but on objective markers. Ideally, it should be based on endoscopy, but of course, you can't repeat endoscopy too often, even in UC. This is why we are using the biomarkers such as CRP and 
calprotectin. So last year, we published the result of the CALM trial, which was the first prospective study looking at the usefulness of this tight control strategy. Basically, we took patients who were naive of uh, anything, no immunomodulators, no biologics. It took a long time to recruit. They were all started on steroids, and then at week nine, they were randomized to two different arms. The mouse is not working. Sorry. The clinical management arm were basically patients were escalated only based on clinical data, meaning the CDI and the prednisone use, meaning if you were able to win the patient off steroids or not. And the treat-to-target arm were patients were escalated even if they were doing well clinically as long as one of the two biomarkers was, was still high. The strategy of escalation in both arms was the same. We started with no treatments, if basically we were able to reach the goal without doing anything. Then the patient was a step up to adalimumab every other week, then adalimumab weekly, and then combo therapy, which was an original progression as well. Interestingly, some patients were doing well at week uh, 36, or starting at week 24, were able to de-escalate. So the CALM study was strongly positive. This is a primary endpoint, which was endoscopy. 46% of patients in endoscopic remission, this is a definition, which is uh, approximately the best endoscopic data ever observed with any biologic agent at one year, as compared to 30% in the clinical management arm. All the secondary endpoints were numerically superior in the treat-to-target, in the, sorry, the tie control arm. Some of them very interesting, such as this one, which is deep remission, meaning clinical remission, no steroids, and full endoscopic healing. So what uh, actually explains the success of this uh, to this uh, tie control strategy is very simple. If you are using biomarker instead of clinical symptoms alone, you will escalate patients earlier. And this cartoon represents the different treatments where uh, patients were on at different points, week zero, week 12, Sorry, I have a problem with this month. Week 12, week 14, and week 36. And for instance, just take a week 36 data in the tie control arm, as you can see with this dark color, there were more patients in, for instance, adalimumab weekly plus azathioprine, or adalimumab weekly, or adalimumab every other week plus azathioprine, including some of them who de-escalated. Uh, so basically, it's pushing the use of biologics earlier in disease course as a consequence of tie control. So um, because this study was only one year duration, we were not able to assess long-term outcomes. We are trying to follow those patients right now. But still, at one year, there were less hospitalization in the uh, tie control arm as compared to the clinical management arm which is an indicator of change in the progression of the disease. 
you may worry that in the tight control arm, you may have more side effects because you were uh, basically in intensifying the patient earlier, but this was not the case. So in summary, I'm, I've tried in this slide to put everything together, this uh, treat-to-target and tight control approach. You start with a patient with active disease. Active means active based on clinical data and objective data. Then you start your treatment. After three months, you monitor your patients based on symptoms and on biomarkers. After six to nine months, you perform an ileo colonoscopy. So, one case, you have, you have reached your target. No symptoms, biomarkers are fine, and endoscopy is good. Maybe not remission, but at least you have improvement. Then you are on the right track, and then you need to continue. If the target is not reached using this strategy, then you need to think about something else, optimizing or switching or anything else. So this is summarized here, and this is a slide that I'm using with my patients so they can understand. This is a journey. They are focusing on the targets. And in order to reach the uh, target, you will have to adapt this style control strategy. Finally, there are a lot of remaining questions. The first one is, what is a target? You need to understand that the target of endoscopic remission was not based on prospective data. This was just based on retrospective data. And this is why we are waiting the results of the REACT2 trial, which is a treat-to-target study, where in one arm, patients will be treated based on symptoms, and the second arm, they will be escalated if they don't reach some uh, endoscopic endpoints as well. So uh, this will be an enhanced algorithm incorporating early combo. The conventional step care is symptom-based, and the enhanced algorithm is based on endoscopic finding that can basically be the basis for therapy intensification. And interestingly, this will be the first study where the primary endpoint will be complications at one year. I will not detail this, but basically this is the most important principle. I hope we'll get the results of that study by next year. The problem as well is, uh, as I was alluding to, what is endoscopic remission? Should we target no ulceration at all? Is endoscopic response enough in some patients who started, for instance, with a very high SCSCD? Is this an acceptable target? And nobody is able to answer this question so far. The uh, second question, and this is back to the point that I was making, that histology was not considered as a target in the STRI guideline from 2015. But there are a lot of data, especially from David, for instance, showing that uh, if you are able to reach histological healing on the top of endoscopic healing, this will be associated with less steroid requirement and hospitalization, meaning that the best uh, strategy is endoscopic remission and histological activity. So, for instance, here you can see that 12% of patients in complete remission, meaning uh, histologic uh, uh, as well, uh, were uh, not hospitalized, were uh, hospitalized as compared to 36 
persons of uh, patients who had either endoscopic remission but still histological activity. The point is that this is a very difficult target to reach, and I'm asking you the question, will you be ready to escalate a patient who is doing well clinically, endoscopy showing Mayo 0 or 1, but histology is still showing some activity? Would you be ready to step up this patient, for instance, from five hazards to a biology? What should be part of Thai control? I think I didn't talk at all about drug monitoring, um, and maybe proactive drug monitoring will uh, even enhance the results of the Thai control approach. So far, we are only doing this reactive monitoring according to the AGA guidelines, meaning that we are changing our strategy uh, reactively based on trough and antibodies, and you know about this algorithm. There are data such as this study showing that proactive TDM is better than reactive TDM to reduce treatment failure. This was a study comparing reactive after loss of response in one group and proactive. The study was retrospective and proactive was associated with better outcomes. The problem is that we have now three prospective studies, the Stainol study, the Taxid study, and the Telluric study, which are all negative. I suspect this has something to do with the way the drug monitoring was done, but still, I, this is why the HGA didn't accept this proactive monitoring as part of their guideline. Something else that can be incorporated in the future as well would be more imaging as part of Thai control. And you can imagine, for instance, that in a not high-risk patient, for instance, you will repeat imaging and coloscopy, of course, at diagnosis, then colonoscopy again, then imaging. But in a patient with a high risk of progression, you can do more Thai control using colonoscopy and imaging. This needs to be uh, shown prospectively. Something else which is gaining a lot of attention, especially in uh, Europe, is the use of ultrasonography as part of, of Thai control. Because this is really very nice to get a, a kind of point of care of disease assessment. And you can assess very well the, the, the mucosa, the submucosa, and the muscularis Propria. I know that is not well developed in US, but I think we should really think uh, about that, and um, this, sh this should be part of our uh, new techniques now. Something that we are very keen on uh, at Sinai, through our IBD home, is a psychosocial care as part of monitoring and of tight control. I think this has been completely underscored. What we are currently doing is reactive monitoring. We see uh, patients who have a uh, screen positive for depression. Then you, we address this patient to a social worker or to a psychologist, and then this is reactive. But we know that this problem of depression, anxiety are associated with hospitalization, poor disease control, uh, unplanned surgery, and so on and so forth. So we have started a prospective study looking at proactive monitoring of this uh, psychosocial issue as a part of Thai control. Finally, could Thai be harmful? Is Thai 
too tight. This is tight, actually. Because we have examples from that. Uh, for instance, there are good data from diabetes showing that in this uh, study, which was published in the New England, where the, uh, there are two different targets, what was very stringent, the second one less, actually the intensive treatment was not associated with better outcome, but more mortality, hypoglycemia, and weight gain. And this was discontinued early. You can imagine that if we step up our patients too much, for instance, we'll see more side effects because of biologics or something like that. So this needs also to be uh, take, uh, taken into account. And finally, uh, we have absolutely no data showing the most important point, and I am back to my original slide, is treat to target changing the natural history of IBD. And my answer is, I don't know, because this is a black box. So far, all prospective studies in IBD have just been one year or maximum two years duration. If you want to assess disease progression in Crohn and UC, you need at least three years or five years disease duration. For instance, to see the Lehman index changing, you need three years at, at, at least. So I hope we'll soon have long-term studies, what we call disease modification trials. And finally, how will you implement that? Are you ready? And this is a question that I would like to discuss with you. Is this feasible in clinical practice? This is data from UCSD, where it's a small study, 67 patients, where they did this serial uh, endoscopy and adjustments based on endoscopic healing, and they were uh, showing that basically the uh, patients were adjusted based on endoscopic healing were doing better than those uh, only adjusted based on symptoms. But it's a small retrospective study. And is it uh, adopted in clinical practice? Actually, we don't really know. This is a very recent study from Southern Australia showing what your colleagues from Australia are doing. This is UC. So 246, uh, this was a study in 250 patients. 246, uh, actually in 200, there was measurements of clinical activity. Only 149 endoscopic activity and only 85 histological activity with a different grades of endoscopy and histology here. So uh, we are far from having this treat-to-target approach uh, adopted in clinical practice. To conclude, treat-to-target and PI control are complementary, should be tailored to the individual patients. The strike guidelines are nice, but they are based on post-hoc data. We are waiting for the REACT2, which will provide some answer. Biomarkers should be incorporated in your daily strategy. Drug level, maybe, but we are missing prospective data. Histology as well. However, there are a lot of problems posed by that, including the uh, histological scoring system, and we need this long-term disease modification. Thank you, and I can't resist to show you this slide. Yeah. <laughs>